It's been a while since there's been a preached sermon, and um, just so you know for myself, in preparation for the first time after a little bit of a hiatus, there's always this intrepidation within my own soul of, do I actually have something to say? So um, hopefully I have figured out what it is that I'm supposed to say today. But as we begin today, um, I want to remind you that we are in the season of ordinary time. And especially as we enter into this summer season, we'll be doing um, a series on, based on this book called Learning the Language of the Soul. So what um, we are going to cover in the next um, three months is pieces and parts um, from, this, from this book. So I'm just bringing that to you as a resource. It may or may not be helpful um, as an actual book to read, but I'm just letting you know this is where many of the ideas that we are going to talk about in the next few months come from. So there is that. So as we begin, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself to us throughout our lifespan. And we ask now, God, that as we begin this new series, that you would come with your spirit and that you would flow in and through um, the words that are presented as well as through the listening of the words. Thank you, God, that you are here and you are wanting to um, teach us and show us the way. We ask now for your um, blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. As a child, my understanding of God was of a supernatural being that was far away and a bit scary. In fifth grade, I wrote a flowery offering prayer and presented it to my fifth grade teacher, Sister Agathine. Sister Agathine was a Benedictine nun with much wisdom. She read my prayer and thoughtfully responded. You don't have to write a prayer for God to hear you. You can just talk to God. God will listen to what you have to say. In my 20s, my perception of God changed. No longer a distant deity, God was experienced as one who came to earth in the person Jesus. The way I talked to God was familiar and close. Jesus became friend and companion. But as my faith deepened, something seemed missing. I needed new language to help me in a new place. Each of our lives is filled with twists and turns. Some are expected. Others are experienced as surprises. Add to the uniqueness of life's circumstance, we add our own personalities and the way of we are in the world. Walking our own walk is important. Learning to pray our own prayer is key. We sometimes know how to describe what is happening in our souls and find prayer that responds. But for most of us, it takes time, especially in new seasons that contain fresh challenges or invitations 
to way, new ways of being. Different ways of understanding God's presence and care may need to emerge. The Song of Hannah that we heard read today is one woman's grateful prayer response to God after a long period of heartache and longing for a child. Her words are full-throated with vivid imagery and metaphor describing how she understands who God is and God's action in her life. Her prayer vocabulary spills over to meaning-making in bold, hyperbolic strokes. I don't know about you, but I don't remember if I've ever composed a prayer like Hannah's. Not in so many words, that is. Yet there are parts of her prayer that are familiar to me. Nouns that describe God like protector and judge or verbs that narrate God's action like kills and restores or lifts and raises. I've used those before in my prayer. They have sometimes become mine. But then there are the illustrations of meaning she expresses like what is found in verse 7. The Lord makes some people poor and others rich. He humbles some and makes others great. Or in verse 9, she says, God protects the lives of his faithful people, but the wicked disappear in, in darkness. A man does not triumph by his own strength. That come across to me more like a stitching together of the understanding of God's action rather than a declaration of foundational theology. She's trying to make meaning out of her experience, what's happening. Our lives, like Hannah's, are filled with moments when we as God-seekers try to name who God is and who we are to God, expressing as best as we can what is true and real to us. Our words are an attempt to describe the meaning of our soul's life. At other times, though, our words fail us. In these moments, we need to be willing to find new metaphors to describe God and our experience of our spiritual journey. This past week, I was talking to a friend who said she feels like she is in a boat on God's great river with a plastic fork rudder. Great word picture. A tiny disposable fork does not do much against a mighty current. In response, she admits to this feeling of how she is with God, she is learning to surrender to the flow of the spirit, even when it seems like it's taking her to unknown places. Good illustration of what I'm talking about here. Throughout the centuries, different images have come into favor more than others to describe the spiritual life and who God is. Even among contemporary Christian traditions, one image of God is highlighted more or less. This can be seen in churches in which we worship. I grew up Catholic. So the suffering servant, hanging on a cross, greeted me in every church I worshipped in. 
when visiting Reformed Protestant churches in Europe, I was greeted by ginormous, like say, ginormous pulpits. Biggest pulpits I've ever seen. You know, you crawl up there, but they're like huge, ginormous pulpits with no religious artwork anywhere in the sanctuary. Taking just these two examples as primary symbols of interpreters of the soul's expression, one might think that God is to be found in suffering. Jesus meets us in our suffering. And the other in God's written word or proclaimed word. Now, this is not all one particular tradition says about God, but it's primary. It's, it's their symbol. It's their symbol of who God is. We have those too. We have those too. There are many ways that we use symbol and language to describe what is happening inside of us in a relationship with God. But sometimes, sometimes, it takes time to get to a place of being able to narrate that experience to others. So we have things going on, but it takes time to figure out how to say that to somebody else. This is normal. It's a normal process of making meaning from our raw experiences. So it's normal, especially when something's new or feels, you know, like it, we just don't have any place for it to go inside of us. The simplest way I've heard this taught, uh, this process taught, is through a formula, formula, and it uses these um, three letters, E-A-U, E-A-U, experience, articulation, and understanding, experience, articulation, and understanding, and it goes like this, we have an unarticulated spiritual experience. Uh, spiritual experience or event. So something happens. It just happens. We internally and then in time externally rehearse that experience or event. So we begin to talk about it. And we talk about it to ourselves first and then we talk about it with others. Attempting to make sense of what happened based on our personal worldview, because we all have that, past experiences, you know, both personal, but also our experiences with God, and current beliefs. How does this all line up? In that process, we engage with new images and metaphors to help us. So new ways of thinking about who God is. For example, a metaphor, an image to think about who God is, a shepherd. You know, how is God shepherding me here? And in, in time, so the third, in time, we understand our experience making meaning of it. Sometimes. I wrote in time, but sometimes we understand what it is. Sometimes. I, w I, I would like to say all the time, but I don't think it is. In time, maybe. Maybe on the other side of time. <laughs> when we get to another place, we might. But in time, you know, it leaves room for grace to be open, you know, that... This may make sense, or it may, may not. It may not. If we look back to the story of Hannah, she had the prophet Eli and her husband 
Elkiah to companion her in her meaning making of her circumstance. So if you go back a chapter. Both in her painful want and later in her gratitude. When I think of my own spiritual journey, many experiences have caught me off guard. Many experiences have caught me off guard. In them, there usually is, and I, I again, I tentatively put, you know, like I don't want to put an always sort of place on these because it's not always true. There usually is an invitation to grow. There usually is. There's some things that are so tragic. I was, well, the meaning making that I assigned to it, that, that is so that is so not God. <laughs> like that's just, that's, you know, atrocities of war. That's so not, that's evil. You know, like it's uh, meaning making. <laughs> I, 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 that's where my limitation, my own personal limitation, I can't make meaning out of, I have, a, I just get stuck. So many, um, so there's usually an invitation to grow and know God in a new way. I don't always welcome the invitation, but it's there somewhere. Even as I say, I can't understand this. I'm like, oh, well, there's probably an invitation somewhere for me in that. Um, I don't know where it is right now, but I'll move on. For me, the hardest experiences are those who, that touch closest to the deepest wounds of my soul. So. For, for me, estrangement from family members tops the list, especially in the recent years um, with my own dad. That tops the list, like trying to make meaning, find God in it. Where is God in this? Where is God in this? How is God a part of what is happening? <clears throat> God is one who is always with, but when people you love do strange and hurtful things, how is God here? You know, how is God here? For me, symbols and storylines can get all muddled up and confused. They just get all... So, primary question, making meaning out of that experience for me. God, are you really a good father, even if my earthly one doesn't seem that way right now? Primary question for me. Primary. Boil it all down, my experience, that's what's underneath. Are you good? <laughs> do you care for me? Are you going to abandon me? Are you going to do some, you know, you, that's, that's where it comes. So the circumstance of life becomes this place of where is God? Who is God? Who am I? Am I lovable? Do you love me, God? But if prayer is fundamentally a relationship with God that demands unguarded honesty in naked exposure, the hope that we hold is that even these places of pain or unknowing can be transformed as we willingly bring them to God and are vulnerable to the new. They can be. They can be places of transformation. The action of prayer and the corresponding process of our experiences to make meaning 
doesn't instantly make our circumstance pretty or even tidy, or even the image of God tidy, or even our theology tidy. Doesn't, it doesn't do that. But I think it helps us to open the, us to the possibility of healing and the experience of resurrected life. That's the hope, you know. As followers of Jesus, that's the hope. The primary way we describe our spiritual experience is through metaphors and images. Sometimes these metaphors come directly from Scripture. Other times they come from everyday life. There is no separation between the secular and the religious here. None. It's not like there's holy images and unholy images. All images, all images are equally prized and included. We need many and different kinds over the course of a lifetime to assist us. With the Old Testament prophets and Jesus himself and the psalmist leading the way, the language of the soul is, creative, is as creative as the God we serve is as creative as the God we serve. So this summer, we're going to take some time to identify the ways we name our spiritual experiences and respond to God in them. So we're going to, that's what the summer series is going to be about. We will do this by exploring a number of different topics, different ways, you know, images. And like a good writing prompt... We're going to start with what is, so we're going to start with what is, rather than what is not. Otherwise, we could get, you know, like, we could go on to eternity talking about this. So we're going to talk about what is, rather than what is not. So there will be something we will talk about, and then we will engage in that. And what I mean by this is that we will unpack a few biblical few key biblical metaphors that we could all crawl around inside of and crawl around inside of them for a bit. Some of them will fit our spiritual lives right now. It's like, oh, yeah, I identify with this. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, yep, that's where I'm at. And others we will need to save and put in a trusted place where we can find them when that old skin that we're wearing needs to be shed. So... Some, some will be like, oh, yeah, will resonate. And others will be like, oh, I think that might be for another time. Or they may be helpful as we listen to each other's stories and use metaphors. It's like, oh, I have a bigger understanding of what that might mean. I think it will be enlightening for all of us. I'm very hopeful. We will have a gentle rhythm of the introduction of a topic followed by a faith story by an Abbey Weyer. So we'll have an introduction of a topic, and then the following week, on most weeks, will be followed by a faith story that will just be a faith story about you know, using that image or topic. <clears throat> on the first Sundays, when we go out in the park, because that's what we do during the summer, we will review what we've talked about in the previous week. So there'll always be this place of reviewing what we have just talked about, so kind of pulling it forward um, as we go through the summer. 
So here are a few suggestions of ways to enter into this summer series. First one is to be here. <laughs> it's summer. But if you can't, listen to the sermons and the stories online. You know, make an effort to stay engaged with what's happening. The second is to do some self-exploration of the topics on your own. So, you know, take what, what you're hearing and just do some, you know, think about it, reflect on them. We will, we will send out a couple of questions that you can contemplate or journal about on each topic, so there'll always be something you can use to help you think about it if you would like that. The third, and I think this is, uh, this is a hopeful place for me in terms of Abbey Way, is to share what you're learning about with others. Just as important it is to do your own reflection, it's also important to talk about your thoughts um, with others. So we're talking about this. I'm hopeful we're going to gain some new language, both of you know, speaking, but also in our listening. So talk about it. Talk about what you're learning. And so a good goal, I'm going to, I'm going to set the bar really low so we can all jump way over it. A good goal would to do this at least once this summer with a fellow Abbeywayer. Just once. Low bar. See if you can do it a few more times. But talk about it. Talk about what, what's resonating with you. Or what you have questions about or whatever it is. I pray we will learn something new about God in this series. I pray that we will learn something new about ourselves. I pray that we will learn something new about each other as we study together. And I pray that our language and experience, maybe we'll recognize God in new ways, will grow. So our language will grow and our experience of God, because we're recognizing God in different ways, will grow. I pray that our imagination will be expanded and our prayer life deepened. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for new beginnings and how you desire to meet with us in them. And God, I pray for us as Abbey Way, um, as we embark on this new in this new series together, that your spirit would flow in and through and between all of it, um, that we would all know your care and your love and your voice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.